Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. We're thrilled to announce that the North Valley Nut Conference is taking place on January 31st at Silver Dollar Fairgrounds in Chico, California. This event is held in conjunction with University of California Cooperative Extension. It's a golden opportunity for professionals in the tree nut industry. Network with our exhibitors and sponsors who are committed to your success in the orchard. Earn valuable continuing education units and expand your knowledge on the latest industry trends. Listen to our expert speakers, share valuable insights and practical advice, but attendance is filling up fast. So make sure you visit myaglife.com backslash events and register today. We hope to see you there. The California Department of Food and Agriculture has awarded more than $500,000 in funding for one project in the sixth funding cycle of the Proactive Integrated Pest Management Solutions Grant Program. The project will consist of two years and two months of developing and refining Proactive Low Input Control Program for a South American palm weevil, an invasive pest in California that is not yet found in agricultural areas. California's agricultural community is making real progress on sustainable pest management solutions for growers big and and small and for the benefit of the communities they serve as well, according to CDFA Secretary Karen Ross. This project is about building a solution now for a pest that they know is knocking on the door for their date palm farmers, and it's about looking first for solutions that reduce the need for pesticide use. Project leader Dr. Mark Huddle at the University of California Riverside will receive funding for his project titled Development of a Proactive IPM Program for the California Date Industry, Optimizing, Attract, and Kill for managing the invasive South American palm weevil. Attract and Kill is a management strategy that employs pheromone baited traps to lure and eliminate pests. This project will assess the efficiency of this strategy against South American palm weevil. This proactive IPM work is designed to give growers a sustainable, reduced insecticide use control tool that can be rapidly employed by commercial date producers, ideally before the South American palm weevil becomes established in date production in areas of Coachella Valley. CDFA's Office of Pesticide Consultation and Analysis manages the proactive IPM solutions program with the goal of anticipating which exotic pests are likely to arrive in California and are spread from isolated local populations, and the office will use that information to develop and test low-impact management strategies that can be quickly implemented if these pests become established in the state. Having strategies in place can lead to a reduction in the long-term use of broad-spectrum pesticides, a key goal of the state's sustainable pest management program. For more information, log on to the CDFA website. The California Bountiful Foundation, a nonprofit science research and education organization of the California Farm Bureau, has received $574,750 in grant money to support the California Farm Bureau Beginning Farmer and Rancher Mentoring Program. The program is called Expanding Our Roots and is dedicated to supporting newly emerging agriculturalists in California. The grant was awarded by the U.S. Department of Agriculture National Institute of Food and Agriculture. The funds will support the development and implementation of the beginning farmer and rancher mentoring program, which will partner with the California Farm Bureau Young Farmers and Ranchers Organization. The initiative will match 200 beginning farmers and ranchers with one to 10 years of experience with agricultural mentors who have worked in California farming and ranching for more than a decade. Mentoring will focus on topic areas including market access, climate challenges, navigating the regulatory system, pest management, and the business aspects of farming and ranching. Beginning agriculturalists receiving 
receiving support under the program will include military veterans and socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. Partners in the effort include the California Farm Bureau Young Farmer and Rancher Program, county farm bureaus, the Black Agriculture Working Group, and the Farmer Veteran Coalition's founder, Michael Orgorman. As California grapples with worsening cycles of drought, a proposal to create a new water district in Butte County has sparked fears of a profit-driven water grab by large-scale farmers and outside interests. In the Walnut and Almond Orchards along State Route 99 near Chico, agricultural landowners have led a years-long campaign to form the Tuscan Water District, an entity they say is vital for the future of farming in Northern California. In the Walnut and Almond Orchards along State Route 99 near Chico, landowners have formed the Tuscan Water District, an entity they say is vital for the future of farming in this part of Northern California. The district will enable landowners to bring in water and build infrastructure to recharge their groundwater aquifer, according to organizers. Some residents do argue, however, that the district would open the door to water profiteering, claiming the plan would connect local supplies to California water markets and allow the state to demand transfers during drought emergencies. The proposal, which will be decided via email balloting, has generated debate about the use of partially depleted aquifers that store imported water. Although major water suppliers in other parts of the state, such as the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, have invested in efforts to bank water underground for times of drought, the concept has met with deep suspicion in Butte County. You put in the infrastructure, you start taking over the groundwater basin for private profit, and it changes everything, according to Barbara Vlamis, executive director of Aqua Alliance, an organization focused on protecting water resources in the Sacramento Valley. She says it becomes this economic engine for these people that want to take over ownership. Supporters deny the charges of seeking to sell or export water. They say the district is necessary to address the local groundwater deficit and achieve sustainability in the coming years as required under California's Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. To date, opponents have formed a political action committee called Groundwater for Butte, which has warned that establishing the district is a water grab by big ag and the state. However, supporters of the Tuscan Water District called such claims unfounded, saying they do not intend to transfer any water out of the area and that measures are in place to prevent that from happening. Canadian Produce Marketing Association President Ron Lemaire and Dave Puglia, President and CEO of Western Growers, note that Canadian consumers are besieged by high food prices. Now the government is pushing to implement a plastics ban without considering the consequences. Environmental and Climate Change Canada is advocating for a near-elimination approach for plastic packaging that would require 75% of all produce sold in grocery stores to be sold in bulk or non-plastic packaging by the year 2026 and will increase to 95% by the year 2028. Fresh fruits and vegetables represent only 2.9% of all plastic packaging in Canada, yet the near-total elimination of these essential packaging tools could cause dramatic food security and food affordability issues for consumers. Canadians benefit from a year-round supply of fresh fruit and vegetables despite a short domestic growing season. Imports represent the vast majority of produce sold to meet Canadian consumer demand, and the majority of the products come from the United States. Western growers as farmers provide two-thirds of the American fruits and vegetables available year-round to Canadians, and they know firsthand how difficult it is to get fresh and nutritious foods from the fields of California to the dinner plates of urban and rural Canadians safely and in good condition. At this time without plastics, it would be impossible.
Currently, there are no commercial available non-plastic packaging solutions for many types of produce. Innovations in plastic alternatives using fiber are years away from real-world usage. If the ECCC's proposal goes into effect as written, beginning in 2026, there would be no bag salads in Canadian grocery stores, a convenient and healthy staple for working families. No baby carrots for kids as lunches because the plastic bags used to transport baby carrots are made of breathable plastic film that extends a shelf life. No year-round berries, which cannot withstand the rigors of being shipped across the continent without being encased in plastic clamshells, and no bananas, a dietary staple for many Canadians on restricted income because they are sent to Canada in a plastic bag which controls ripening during shipment. Overall, as supply dwindles, the diversity of produce options will diminish dramatically and prices will rise. The impacts in rural and remote communities will be even greater, according to the associations. Rather than a near elimination of plastics, the ECCC and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau have been asked to take a collaborative approach with industry. This approach would focus on increasing recycled content and improving recycling systems to address the need for circularity while balancing the universal desire to reduce plastic pollution with the realities of the market. The Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, led by Priscilla Chan and Mark Zuckerberg, has awarded a $1 million grant to San Mateo County to bolster initiatives aimed at constructing affordable housing for local agricultural laborers and their families. The investment is poised to make a positive impact on the lives of farm workers, addressing the challenges they face due to the soaring cost of housing in the region, according to Priscilla Chan, co-founder and co-CEO of the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. She emphasized the importance of supporting farm workers amidst the housing crisis crisis. She stated there are few communities more deeply impacted by the rising cost of housing than farm workers. This project will help add more safe and affordable housing options for farm workers and their families in Half Moon Bay, and they hope it will be a catalyst for similar investments throughout the region. The ground aligns with the ongoing collaboration between the county and the city of Half Moon Bay, alongside farm worker advocates, farmers, and other stakeholders. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture, a better way where farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humic Solutions with a Human Touch. Visit Huma.us to learn more. California Department of Pesticide uh, Regulation is is looking to have a more sustainable system. So I, I would think it is time to look into what other um, practices that are non-chemical best could be incorporated into the pest management system. The Inputs Ag Summit is coming up on January 10th at the Fresno Fairgrounds, and the first panel of the day will feature research, consultant, and grower perspectives on what the future of integrated pest management in California entails, and how industry can continue to evolve with the changing landscape. Speaking just now was Sandeepa Gautam, a UCCE IPM advisor for Citrus in the Central Valley who has seen firsthand how beneficial IPM practices are to her industry. Citrus industry in the past has been a biologically based IPM program, um, which actually has evolved in the last two decades, um, given the press pressure with um, pests like citrus thrips and California Ready Scale and now invasion of um, Asian citrus salad. 
Integrated pest management involves not only applying the treatments, per se, pesticides, but also understanding um, what the pest is, its life cycle, when the pest is most vulnerable, and using that information to make the most um, educated and informed decision as possible. And in that regard, a lot of research has been done by our predecessor, and we do understand, we have a good understanding about these um, several of these key pests, but then things keep um, changing, you know, things like weather impacts, pest pressure and seasonal phenology, and we lose chemicals, uh, pest develop resistance. Uh, we have new invasive pests requiring additional protocol and that affects the natural enemy ecosystem. And that's how um, IPM evolves to address address those issues. Here, just taking an example of California Red Scale, which was becoming worse and worse in the 2010s, I would say, 2015-16 um, season and beyond was the most most difficult time for our growers to control um, California Red Scale. And that led to research um, looking into mating disruption. And now, you know, based on research and findings, mating disruption is an adoptive practice by growers and it's it's a part of the IPM program now. So you, some sometimes the challenges push us to think outside the box and we look for other options um, for managing pests. Speaking on the future, Gautam outlined where she thinks needs lie and how the industry can continue to evolve in the IPM space with things like changing regulations and weather trends, as well as new pests. As much as we can, we have to think ahead and anticipate issues, you know, especially with regulatory issues, uh, regulations. We know what to anticipate in the future. California Department of uh, Pesticide Regulation is is looking to have a more sustainable system. So I, I would think it is time to look into what other um, practices that are non-chemical best could be incorporated incorporated into the best management system, just uh, as an example, citrus so mealy bug is an increasing issue here in the valley and we are also anticipating ACN citrus to to be discovered in newer areas you know although there are so much regulations in place to limit the distribution of ACP it is inevitable thinking ahead and anticipating what our problems would be and researching ways and developing strategies before it becomes a pest issue. A lot of research has been going on on uh, Asian citrus psyllid, but I would say for the valley growers, um, where most of the citrus acres is, citrus mealybug is an increasing concern. And uh, looking into alternate management tools like mating disruption and um, figuring out how that can be um, brought into um, you know, finding industries who are who are willing to support that that research, and look into um, isolating the pheromone, and you know, develop mating disruption um, for mealy bugs would be something that the industry could be looking forward to in the coming years. Gautam said it's crucial for growers to stay informed as the pest management landscape changes in order to evolve with it. It's challenging to be a grower right now because there are so many issues that they have to deal with, not just crop production practices, but regulations and labor issues and water shortages and whatnot. Um, in terms of pest management, um, I can speak to that. And I think the best way for growers to um, engage and um, 
you know, uh, contribute would be to stay informed about the best issues, go to the meetings, learn about how to monitor and what products work and what doesn't. And especially in terms of um, when speaking for Asian Cetrocelid and the other pests that move, uh, maybe try and be proactive and uh, get problem under, under control before it becomes out of control, you know, before it becomes severe. Hear from Gautam on the future of IPM on January 10th at the Impotag Summit, where she'll be a panelist. Link to show info in the description of this episode. For My Ag Life, I'm Taylor Tallstrom. We know it's been tough managing inputs and resources lately. That's why we're inviting you to the Inputs Ag Summit on January 10th in Fresno, California. This event is a lifeline for specialty crop growers, PCAs, CCAs, and applicators alike. It's your opportunity to get help in today's challenging landscape. What will you find at the Input Ag Summit? Cost-saving seminars, networking with experts, special panel discussions, and solutions for hard times. Visit myaglife.com backslash events today to sign up for this new and exciting conference. The future of a massive new biofuels market hangs on Treasury Department guidance for sustainable aviation fuel tax credits. It's a potential 36 billion gallon market, but it won't happen unless the U.S. Treasury Department makes it possible. Renewable Fuels Association CEO Jeff Cooper. We're waiting for Treasury to come out with that guidance that will explain to the industry how eligibility will be determined for these tax credits. We have been pushing very hard to ensure that the most current methodology, the best information, best science is used for those eligibility determinations. Specifically, Cooper points to a holistic life cycle approach to measuring carbon emissions at all stages of ethanol production. Using the Department of Energy's GREEP model for determining eligibility, and and we're expecting guidance from Treasury. I'm, I'm hearing most recently, we could see it by the end of the year. Guidance that could determine if the biofuels industry gets the tax credits needed to make expensive, sustainable aviation fuel more attractive to airlines and boost investment in the fuel. We're looking for methodologies that will deem eligible the, the largest volume of feedstocks and, and biofuels. If instead we end up with guidance that really only allows waste-derived SAF to qualify for the tax credit, it's it's really going to have a chilling impact on investment in SAF. The ethanol industry was encouraged by the recent first ever transatlantic flight by Virgin Air using 100% sustainable aviation fuel. The airline claims it reduced carbon emissions by 70% over conventional oil-based jet fuel. USDA is projecting a modest increase this year in farm production expenses. USA Ag News reporter Gary Crawford. As farmers balance their financial books for 2023, analysts at the USDA say that on average, those producers' expense ledgers will show yet another increase this year in production expenses. One of the things that you've seen here is obviously a lot of volatility in input prices. But USDA's chief economist Seth Meyer says a lot of that volatility happened in the early months of 23. And for all of the year, USDA is projecting a 3.5% increase in overall farm production expenses. Two big contributors to that, a 43% hike in interest expenses and a 19% rise in expenses involved in purchasing livestock. But we do have things moderating like fuels and oils and fertilizer, things which had seen big run-ups in, say, the previous 18 months, showing some actual decline. Meyer says farmers will have spent about 14% less for fertilizer this year, also less for pesticides, fuels, and livestock feed. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. 
The USDA is providing approximately $208 million in financial assistance for qualifying farm and emergency loan borrowers. To help prevent foreclosures, USDA will cover approximately $80 million in delinquencies for an estimated 210 borrowers whose loans were flagged for liquidation as of November 30th. USDA will also provide roughly $128 million for an estimated 1,121 borrowers with outstanding direct emergency loans as of November 30th. Any distressed borrowers who qualify for this assistance and are currently in bankruptcy will get addressed using the same case-by-case review process announced in October of 2022 for complex cases. They're working hard every day to keep farmers on their farms. According to USDA Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, he says they will continue to work on credit reforms centered around a better approach. He encourages their lenders and borrowers to capitalize on all available flexibilities. Borrowers can submit requests in person or by sending a request using portals found on farmers.gov. Bankers have their voice heard in Washington, D.C., thanks to the American Bankers Association. They represent 83% of all banks nationwide and have agricultural loans in their portfolio. Ed Elfman, Senior Vice President of Agricultural and Rural Banking Policy for ABA, explains how he is supporting bankers and farmers with the upcoming farm bill. One thing we're looking at, though, is this rising interest rate environment and what that means for farmers and ranchers. So from a legislative standpoint, we have a bill called the ACRE Act, which is the Access to Credit for Our Rural Economy Act, in essence with lower interest rates by removing the taxation on farm real estate and rural housing and aquaculture. So we get a nice trifecta there. But with lower interest rates, we estimate up 50 to 150 basis points, which is the biggest thing our banks are talking about right now, where interest rates are, how they matter how it's affecting their customers. So we came up and have been working on legislation that helps that issue. The Farm Bill, specifically its credit title, remains a priority. On a priority standpoint, the credit title is our is where we spend the most time. We want to increase the FSA farm ownership and farm operating loan programs. They're currently a lot smaller than we'd like them to be. They're about $2 million. We want to increase them to 3.5 on ownership and $3 million on operating. Why? And it'll lead into the second thing we care about, ag costs more. It's harder to, to get operations up and running. Iowa and Missouri are having contests for who can spend the most on land right now. And we're trying to set up our credit to make sure that we can help those beginning farmers especially get into ag. Elfman says they're advocating for increased farm service agency loan programs and initiatives to support beginning farmers. We're trying to set up our credit to make sure that we can help those beginning farmers especially get into ag, which brings me to my second priority, which is beginning farmers. We have a lot of issues in the structure around beginning farmer loans and how they're set up. The farm was put in a trust 20 years ago. Now there's 20 people involved in the trust. You go and try to get a beginning farmer loan, and you can't because you have to lend against the trust. That's a barrier to entry, and we want to remove barriers to entry and make it easier for beginning farmers to get into ag, not harder. Ed Elfman, Senior Vice President of Agricultural and Rural Banking Policy with the American Bankers Association. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. It's there, so they're reading it. 
Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.